0: You're listening to The Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast. This is episode 26 for Wednesday, the 24th of June, 2020, when a bank starts gaslighting people. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Private Citizen. My name is Fab, and I'm once again coming to you from my home studio in Hamburg, just off runway 33 of Hamburg International Airport with a lovely pills not work well because it's the evening and I've worked hard all day and you know it makes the podcast go a bit easier I feel makes it all a bit more private <laughs> on the private citizen um, yeah I'm back I'm back home um, I'm not in the on the farm anymore (laughs) although we'll be we'll be going back um but uh, i need i needed some time i've had a lot of a lot of stuff going on anyway today we're going to talk about a topic that a lot of people are talking about currently i've spent a lot of time yesterday and uh pretty much all of today um researching a company uh, called wirecard which is currently in the news which i have to admit even though i'm a technology reporter in germany i didn't really have on my radar i knew they existed i'd heard their name before i've probably written some stories where they cropped up but you know it's never been never been hugely on my radar maybe because i usually tend to concentrate on the tech scene uh, outside of germany but we're going to talk about them today um and yeah i'm going to why am I going to talk about them? Well, you know, it's all started with me listening to an M- NPR podcast. They have this uh, podcast called Invisibilia. And um, they, basically, um, they basically told me to cover this topic. Here, listen to this.
1: It can happen to a private citizen. It is happening.
0: That was at the end of the podcast. And I was like, wow, okay. Um they're calling me out. I have to I have to I have to do this. So um that's what I did. Also, it's an interesting topic. Of course, the Wirecard card is currently usually in the news, not only in Germany, but pretty much everywhere else. And uh we have to um go into a little bit about what this company is and you know what's currently happening. I think that's just background that we need. And then we're going to go into some shady shit they did, which is not the main thing that's being reported. Um, which this NPR podcast was about. And I think it's, it's very important. And I'm going to explain at the end why I think it's uh, something we have to be aware of and, and, and very, um, Important for this podcast. I mean it's clearly uh, you know, this involves some very egregious privacy violations. So it's it's a it's a topic for that reason alone. But I feel it's like a pretty much like the NPR guys who have a little bit of another angle on this, but you know, I feel like this is kind of a a marker, a turning stone for what the future holds, maybe for more of us, which wouldn't be nice. But um yeah, so uh, I decided to talk to talk about that. Uh because I always forget to mention this at the top of the show, uh go to the website private citizen.press because it has copious show notes, it has all the all the um sources I use to compile to compile the show. So you can read along, you can look it up, you can, you know, form your own picture and if that doesn't um, if you don't agree with me or you find out, you know, you read something and you thought, oh, this was interesting and you didn't talk about that, uh, please do write me. There's contact details on the on the site. Uh, as, as I always say, it's uh, very important to me. You are not only listeners, you're producers of this podcast as by the value for value model, which I'm going to go into a little bit later. Um, you know, there's there's Patreon and stuff, how you can support the show but uh, yeah please go to press. speaking of patreon i saw um they have a merchandising thing now so you can actually uh they actually create the merchandise i have to look into that you have to sign up for that um maybe you know if 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 you guys would be interested interested in that especially the people who are already patreon supporters um please let me know uh, and I'll, you know, it's t-shirts, hoodies, stuff like that. Maybe I can come up with a, with a nice design for us, so you know, as private citizens, we can recognize each other in the wild. I think that would be that would be cool. Um, but without with without further ado, as they say, I think we should uh, we should get right into the topic. So we're talking about wirecard, uh, which for a long time, was one of the biggest, or until this week, I guess, was one of the biggest stars in the German tech industry, which isn't really big. Like, you know, um, there aren't many. We don't really have a startup scene. Um, I mean, that they've been trying for years, but it doesn't really work. They're kind of trying in Berlin to make it a bit like San Francisco, I guess. But we don't really do start like this whole startup mentality, this whole risk taking where somebody just puts money into like a moonshot idea. It's not very German. You know, we are big on plans and insurances and insurances of insurances and hedging every, everything in five different directions and 16 angles. And so not necessarily something we do, something that, that has been cropping up. I mean, there are a few big German, You know online companies, but they usually like copies of you know American ones. Usually like this Zalando, which is like a, which is huge now, which is like a clothing, you know, store online clothing. It's basically Amazon. Just they concentrate on clothing. Um, I mean there are a few, and uh, one one of them uh, is Wirecard, which is a uh, payment. It started as a secure payment provider, um, with pretty humble beginnings, just, you know, just payments, just, uh, processing payments, uh, not like, you know, PayPal or something more like, you know, credit card payments, you know, for websites. And in fact, um, they, uh, got their start basically by, uh, lots of their clients were online gambling sites and like porn sites and slightly shady sites, I guess that other, payment systems didn't want to have and so that's how they got their start they were founded in uh, 1999 i'm not that you know i've got nothing against porn sites or online gambling sites i mean you know as long as it's legal or even if it's like slightly not I, I, i personally i don't i don't care um well Porn that isn't legal was probably is probably an issue, but you know, gambling. There's always there's these arbitrary rules. I don't really keep up with that, but um I, I've got nothing against that. But I feel like this kind of this began bring this up because I feel like this this informed the company culture, which which I think we'll have to get back to later. But uh you know, they they were just you know ambling along. They were never like a huge. Star in the beginning, I mean the dot com bubble burst and I mean they survived, which is something, you know, most companies did from that era in that sector. And they um they grew. You know, their their revenue uh, grew steadily if you look at at, at at the numbers. And uh but you know, a few years ago they actually made a big splash. So they I think in 2018 um they bake became member of the DAX, uh the Deutsche Aktienindex, Index, DAX, uh Delta Alpha X-ray. Um, they uh which is like the 40 biggest German companies, it's huge- hugely prestigious. There is this say you know, there's this label uh DAX DUX Company in Germany, which basically means you know these are trustworthy, reliable companies that have been around for ages and you know that are basically the backbone of the german economy this is a very very prestigious index it's uh it's our blue chip stock market index from the frankfurt stock exchange um just yet recently in the news uh lufthansa just got kicked out because they're basically bankrupt because of the uh the virus the rona and uh that's a big that's big news and and then now, the the whole thing that will happen now that we'll talk about with Wirecard, that happening to a DAX company is a huge shock in Germany. That's why it's all over the news. It's like the German financial world is completely like they're looking at this thing like, like a like a dough in the headlines headlines basically um so they had a you know they experienced a, a experience slow rise but then like a pretty meteoric you know thing into they they were they were in the DAX now and um they were always like I mean, I'm saying this, right? And this is all stuff I've just researched in the last few days. I, I didn't, this was not on my radar, but apparently there were always like in the last few years, there was mentions and you know, people saying, Hey, they have some, it looks like they have some shady deals going on. Um, especially the financial times in London. And, uh, they've, have always been like this incidents, which, you know, for a DAX company usually isn't a thing, you know. That's not a thing. I mean, you've got stuff like VW, you know, um, cheating on the tests for the cars, right? That was a huge scandal, uh, because it's such a big and a prestigious comp- company and stuff like that. You have stuff like that. Um, but to be honest, as that developed, you'd figured out that any, every auto, every car maker was doing the same thing. <laughs> it's just, it's just like it was more a regulatory issue. I'm not defending it, but it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the Boeing thing, you know, where the regulators weren't really regulating, And then we have an, uh, 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 something like that uh, with Wirecard as well. But like the the initial shock was, um, so they have, so uh, EY, which is, is that they I think they used to be called Ernest and Young. They're like, oh God, sorry, I'm typing in the wrong thing. Ah, this is not good gonna crash windows probably uh i i, I type per accident into a command line window i'm always scared um ernst and young yes so a, a huge um you know okay wikipedia says they're professional services so you know they do uh, accounting and uh and controlling and you know financial audits and for years they were auditing wirecard and i didn't really notice anything Uh, And, but now there was something going on and, you know, there was, there there was, there was stuff in the news, you know, EY was having problems with Wirecard and they actually hired another auditor, but basically the bottom line is that Wirecard, uh, which, you know, by this, by this time now, it's not a simple payment process, right? They do the FinTech, right? That is actually the one part of German of the German startup scene that is actually developing, you know, with N26 or whatever their name is. And, you know, the fintech is a, is a big thing in Germany. And um, so they're now a proper fintech company. They do all kinds of stuff. They, they're, and they're a bank. Like, they have a subsidiary. Wirecard has a bank. And so they're also regulated like a bank would be or not. We'll get into that in a bit. But you know they're a huge uh, financial services company these days, and they make billions and billions of, of euros. But it was now um, discovered that they seem to have lost 1.9 billion euros. Now you're hearing that, and you are and you at and this is now the point where you, if you haven't heard about this, you're asking yourself, how the fuck does a company lose 1.9 billion doll- uh, euros? Well. They don't know, <laughs> and now by now it's probably the money has probably never existed. Um, we'll get into what happened there, but you know, this this came as a huge shock. Uh, this is all over the news in Germany. Um, everybody's reporting it outside of Germany as well. So the Wirecard stock obviously is in freefall. I put a, I took a screenshot earlier today. Um, I did finished all this research um, today, and then went for a run. And uh, you know, to just to relax my brain a bit, I like doing that. Um just to, you know, get a clean slate and then you know, go for a run, have a have a bit of a um bit of a break, have a nice shower, and then you can do something like this and you're fresh. It's now in the evening, but I'm I'm fresh at doing this. But so this is screenshots earlier in the day. Uh but you can see uh, the, the the stock is in free fall. I think it's lost eighty percent of its value. Um, and as we speak probably more um and this is since monday i think monday is when this all came. Uh, friday is when the news kind of hits always like friday you know after <laughs> the markets have closed which i guess gave wirecard time to sort things out on um over the weekend uh their big issue being that they obviously uh have have credit uh, have credits um you know they, they they owe money to several banks um and um, they were kind of figuring out, you know, to, to retain those lines of credit, um, you know, to try to massage the banks that they wouldn't just, you know, say, oh, no, we want our money now, which would have caused the company to collapse, uh, which isn't good for all the banks involved. I think there are like 30 banks or something. They've got credits everywhere. And um, one of the reasons you do that is that if something like this happens, uh, usually you can cut a deal with the banks. I mean it's not good either way it's going to impact your the look of your company uh la- usually of course but it's like you're not usually you're not immediately bankrupt because all the all the banks have skin in the game and if you just go bankrupt then nobody gets any money um Now, uh, let's, let's, let's look at what happened here. I'm, I'm, I'm putting a lot of this from the, from the Financial Times because they were originally reporting on this. And obviously I want English and not German uh, reporting whenever I can. Um, so some quotes here, uh, from the FT. Wirecard has for the first time acknowledged the potential scale of a multi-year accounting fraud, as the German fintech group warned that 1.9 billion euros cash on its balance sheet probably does, quote, not exist. The payments company said it had previously mischaracterized its biggest source of profits and that it was now trying to work out, quote, whether, in which manner and to what extent such business has actually been conducted for the benefit of the company, end quote. It withdrew its most recent financial results and said other year's accounts may be inaccurate. Of course, this is huge uh, for a DAX company. I mean, mean, we talk about VW. There have been scandals before with German companies, with big German companies, of course. But nothing like we've lost 1.9 billion euros and we don't know where it is. I mean, just think about that that is more money than i'm 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 very positive we have quite a few listeners now for the show but i am very positive that that is more money than each and any of all of the people involved with this podcast listening to it producing it um all of you guys and me will ever see in our lifetime that is just and they've lost it they don't know where it is um so this this is of course not causing um Good reactions. So uh, let's let's go on here. Um, I mean, a big part of this is that obviously the auditors uh, uh, or the the regulators rather uh, did not do their job at all. Um, quoting from the FT, as Wirecard's shares resumed their precipitous fall, down 33% on Monday and more than 80% since the co- collapse began on Thursday, the German establishment began its own reckoning. Felix Hufeld, the president of German financial watchdog Bafin, said the Wirecard scandal was, quote, a complete disaster and a shame for Germany. A market that, quote, should be governed by quality and reliability, end quote. But he defended a two-month short-selling ban the regulator imposed last year after Wirecard's Asia headquarters were raided by Singapore police. And we'll get into that in a second. Um... Yeah, so Baffin is the German SEC. We're gonna talk about why they are a problem uh, later in this in this podcast. Um, by the way, bear with me with all this financial crap. Um, we, we're gonna to get to the privacy angle and all of that later, and the interesting and what they did to the whistleblowers and shit like that. The shady, the really shady shit. I think, but this is a really good story either way. Like I could, you know, I've, I've, I've. I've, I've decided to make this a good chunk of the show to explain the story because it's all over the news. And if you haven't heard, um, this is you, you'll you want to have this information. I also think it's a it's a fascinating story. It's it's a it's a mind blowing story. Um, yes. So, Buffett. So 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 what happened here? Um, so apparently, um, really, they're um, they're they have a they have a payment processing business which is licensed by Visa, Visa and Mastercard. And, um, you know, that's tens of billions of euros in annual transaction. volume. that doesn't really have, um, that itself isn't really affected. Although they have called in like one of these financial restructuring firms, like one that this, I don't, I forgot the name. I haven't listed it in the show. It doesn't really matter. It's like one of these that's, that's famous in the financial world. If you have a real problem, like if you, if, you, if there's shady shit going on in your company, and you're going to get rid of that. You call these guys. Um, but the, the actual part of w- what caused this, um, is a part of their business. Wait, sorry. Uh, sorry. I'm, um, this week, my ale- allergies have started with a vengeance. It's actually amazing that until like this year I had, it's almost end of uh, June and I, I haven't had anything. So I'm, I'm pretty happy for that, but it's coming now. So I have to, uh, sometimes I have to, uh, be careful here not to, not to sneeze your ear off, S- uh, sneeze, sneeze your ears off. Um, yeah. So, uh, they have the part of this business is what's called third party acquiring, which is the thing that, um, that this, that caused this. And this is kind of like, okay. I should have prefaced this at the beginning, but you know, I'm not a financial guy. I've never really understood markets on this crap. I'm trying in my old age, but you know, this is not, I'm not a banking guy. Um, I generally not good with money. Um, I generally let the wife handle that <laughs> because she's much better. Um, so I'm, I'm trying, right. But something, something could be off here. And if it is, please feedback, you know, uh, I mean fab.industry slash contact or uh this on, on private citizen or press. Uh there is there's contact details on there. Um let me know. Anyway, so uh so this this third party acquiring is kind of like um if you are a company and you want to buy something from another company. But there are in a, let's say, let's say, let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a, I'm a German company and I have, man, I want something manufactured uh, in Asia, let's say in uh, China. And uh, I, I don't, I don't have like direct business. I don't have an office in China, right? I don't have, uh, or China's maybe. Uh, a drastic example, but you know, let's say, let's say Vietnam and I don't, I don't have an office in Vietnam, but I want to get something manufactured there. And I have a company, there's a company there that I want to do business with. And basically I want to pay them, but I to to manufacture something for me, but it's not like I don't, you know, it's not like a a long time business deal. So basically I want to buy something from the company in in another country as, you know, as, as a company myself, then uh, if I don't, have something set up where I'm in that market already, and I have you know I'm registered, I have a bank account there or whatever. Um, you can you can you can do this with a payment processor like Wirecard, right? You can do, you can do like company deals, right? And basically, so I I'll pay Wirecard, and they they'll pay. They have an office in let's say Vietnam, and they'll pay, um, the manufacturer. So it's basically like using PayPal just for companies and huge, as far as I can understand, and um. And it, it basically uh, it handles credit card payments for businesses, right? Um, and so the problem here is they're like Asian market. They've said they also some 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 stuff there. But uh, um, let, let's let's go on. And let's just quote the Financial Times because they've been on the topic here uh, for the past eighteen months. The Financial Times has reported whistleblower allegations of accounting fraud related to such third-party business of Wirecard. In October, the FT published documents that indicated clients listed in documents prepared for auditor EY did not exist. KPMG special audit, this is the other auditing company they got in uh, when these troubles were like kind of discovered, was unable to verify the arrangements were genuine. Between 2016 and 2018, roughly half of Wirecard's sales and quote, the lion's share of its profits were attributed to such third-party acquiring, according to KPMG's report published in April, and documents seen by the Financial Times. So this means they've claimed that they made lots of this business, uh, especially in Asia, and um, now the money from that is is not there. So what is unclear at this point is, as far as I understand it and which Wirecard isn't saying, which is why they're saying if there was actually business conducted on behalf of the company. So the question is, did these deals actually happen? Um, Were they just made up to make the company look like it was making more profit than it was uh, and had bigger business than it had? Um, Did somebody actually make these deals and pocket the money? Um, We don't really know. And of course, Wirecard has now been downgraded by Moody's to junk. Um, but they've later then pay, pay, pay uh withdrawn uh, with that credit rating, saying that they had no information. They don't know what's going on now, and don't know, basically don't don't give credit to this company. <laughs> they were saying. Now, uh, Y has some quite big um, customers. Uh, some of the ones I found in reporting were uh, Aldi Süd, so in Germany. You'll know, yeah. I mean, you'll know Aldi, it's all over the world, but the interesting part in Germany is two brothers and in Germany is, it's split in Süd, Aldi Süd and Aldi Nord, uh, which is south and north for the two brothers. And I think most of the overseas business is Aldi Süd, it's, uh, so the difference is Aldi Süd is uh, the orange logo and Aldi Nord is just blue and Aldi Süd is way superior, by the way which I say because where I was born is Aldi zud and uh, now I'm I'm in Aldi Nord country and it's they have different products and they're not as good. <laughs> um, especially the Jaffa Cakes. The, the Aldi, Aldi Süd uh, Jaffa Cakes are way superior and that is my benchmark um, for any kind of uh, supermarket really. Uh, and so that they're a customer Aldi Süd, FedEx, uh, KLM, Ikea and also Grab, which is like an Asian Uber competitor and they've already um suspended all business dealings with the companies and company and by now i think uh, more have jumped off i think i saw something uh, just before i started the show but you know it doesn't really it doesn't really matter everybody will jump jump off board i guess now as far as i understand this from earlier reporting um what happened was um they have like an attorney uh who handles their business in the Philippines and he was handling some accounts and apparently, I mean, you know, the the EY, like the reports that were handed to EY and later KPMG were, were saying that this money is parked in two banks in the Philippines, one of which is like the National Bank of the Philippines. Now, journalists who's, who've contacted these banks, uh, report that the banks say that Wirecard was never a customer. And this attorney, and, uh, who's, I mean, and these, these, uh, these papers who were handed to EY and later KPMG were all fake. The bank says this is not signatures on there are fake. They're not from our employees. Uh, now this empo- em- employee, this, uh, not this employee, this, uh, this attorney, so it's like a third party attorney, I think, um, who was handling this money uh, is apparently has disappeared. <laughs> and uh, now we of course have a criminal investigation. So this company is headquartered uh, somewhere close to Munich and the Munich state prosecutor, uh, like, you know, the, the, the DA basically has uh, has, has opened um, criminal proceedings. And yesterday the company's CEO. So there's a guy called Marco, Dr. Markus Braun, who was the CEO of the company from the very beginning? Uh, who was uh stepped down just like a week ago, I think. And now he was arrested. Uh he sold <laughs> reporter reporters, well, he sold a lot of his stock. Uh before like he was there was a um a warrant uh, was, was signed for him and he handed himself in. He went to a Munich police station, handed himself in. Um, before he did that he sold a lot of his stock apparently and he is now he's 50 years old and he is now um oh he was actually uh running the company since 2002 so i guess not since the very beginning and um he is actually now uh he was released on bail uh five million euros uh in bail there's also um, investigations happening in the Philippines. I mean, we talked about, I just talk, talked about why the Philippines are involved. There is a bot member, an ex-bot member who was fired also last week called Jan Masalek, who was kind of the right, like uh, Brown's right hand. And he was uh, responsible for this Asia business, the Asia business part. That is the problem. And he apparently is on the run. Their uh, Spiegel is saying that uh, local prosecutors are investigating people that are in contact with the company, uh, were in contact with the company, uh, relate to the company, inclu- including this Marsalek guy. And um, the the government doesn't know if Wirecard did, ever did business in, in the country, but According to Der Spiegel, immigration official, officials in the Philippines uh, had found, "quote something weird" in Masalek's immigration records, but they wouldn't specify what that was. And I guess this the, Der Spiegel wasn't asking or something. I don't know that they, they didn't. I, I would have at this point, I, if I was the reporter, I would have written that that we we asked repeatedly or something what they didn't. But anyway, so something weird, and apparently he was in the Philippines. From the 3rd to the 5th of March. And they are kind of thinking he's still in the Philippines. And they are hunting him now. Or something. Now, the German regulators are also under fire. Mostly because there were always complaints um, about Wirecard for a long time. This is known. Um... And a lot of these uh, complaints came from short sellers. And we're going to talk about short sellers when we are going to talk about um, the NPR podcast and what they have reported and others have reported. And uh, just a quick explanation of what a short seller is. Because, you know, I, I wasn't positive and I hope I... Again, I hope I got this correctly. So, so to short a, a stock basically means you're betting on it losing value. Now, how can you do that? How can you make money when stock actually uses loses value? Now, NPR didn't explain that in their podcast. They were like, "Oh, it's really complicated." But you're basically betting against the stock losing. Value. Now, I looked this up, and the way I understand this is it works like this. So, what you can do. Is you go to somebody and say, let's let's take the Wirecard example. You're like you're positive that in the next day the Wirecard stock will tank or fall, whatever. So you go to a guy and say, um, can I borrow some Wirecard stock from you? Right? I will. You will give me the stock, and I will pay you in like a two two or three days. And what you then do is you get that stock and you you, you get that borrowed stock and sell it to somebody else. And you sell it to the, pers- the 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 other person at the current market price which is high, just a normal high price, right? You you sell it to that guy um at the normal market price. Now at this point you haven't made any money because you you get money for the stock, but you know, since you, since if the stock price stays the same in two or three days, you will have to pay the guy. um, You borrowed the stock from the high price, the the current price. So you won't have made any money. If the stock actually uh, goes up, you actually lose money because you know, you only got it for the lower price and then, you have to, you know, whatever it rises, you have to pay to the other guy, and then you actually have to pay something out of your own pocket. So you can actually easily use money doing this. Now, if the stock actually goes down or tanks, then you pay back the guy you re- you you borrowed the stock from basically at the market price. And if that's really low, you pay him a low amount. But you got, you know, you got yesterday's price, which was high, so you got you got a lot of money, and you just pay a little bit back. And then you make money. Now, this is allowed uh, because it is a a market mechanism. It is um, short sellers are generally just people who generally think that a stock price of a certain company is worth more than it should be. And it's a mechanism to deflate stock prices that are artificially inflated. Um, So this is all... This is all above board. Now, where it gets a bit shady, or let's say murky, right? Gray, where where it gets where, where the gray area starts is that, um, obviously, short sellers um, profit if a share price tanks. So, you know, they're incentivized to sh- sh- tank share prices. And there are probably bad guy, I'm pretty sure, short sellers who will make up stuff whatever and and we'll 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 try to manipulate stock price and then make money that way now what short sellers often do though is they look into companies you know they do research in-depth research on companies and based on you know mostly i mean it's probably some people doing insider stuff which i guess would i don't know might be illegal i don't know um probably depends. Uh, But, you know, there are people who just do this based on public records because there are a lot of public records, especially for, um, you know, public companies that are listed on socket changes. They have to, you know, put out Lots of paperwork every year. They have to, to document all this kind of stuff. And, you know, with these audits, I'm, I'm, I'm sure some of that stuff uh, is, is made public. I mean, and now there are just short sellers who will, who will go through this information and then they will, you know, for companies where they think, ah, man, there's something fishy about them and then they will find stuff, right? They will find stuff that is probably fishy. Um, they'll have a short position, you know, they'll they'll, they'll put up a short position And then they publish the information and then, you know, people look at it and the stock price actually goes down and they make money. And that in itself isn't, you know, that's just, that's not bad. I mean, that's, this is part of the mechanism. This is part of keeping these companies on their toes, right? It's a control mechanism. It's like companies do something that's not above board uh, guys like this by, by, you know, short, Shorting companies being allowed, uh, they are incentivized to find this stuff, um, and they w- will find stuff that regulators uh, won't find, as we see uh, in in Wirecard's, um case here. So on on another story on FT, where they're talking about the German regulators and why they didn't do their job, um, we get into the short seller stuff, uh, quoting them. 10 days after police raided Wirecard Singapore office in February 2019 over allegations of accounting fraud which you know this is 2019 but this is what what we now know was going on Germany's financial regulator uh, BaFin that is made its own move made its own move BaFin banned investors from betting against Wirecard shares for 2 months the first such restriction on an individual company in German stock market history that w- So they actually banned short-selling the company, which had never happened before. That was quickly followed by a criminal complaint against two Financial Times journalists who had reported the whistleblower allegations about the payments company. Less than 80 months later, it is German regulators who are coming under fire for failing to investigate what increasingly appears one of the country's worst ever accounting accounting scandals. Wirecard shares have crashed more than 80% in recent days as the company acknowledged the potential scale of a multi-year fraud. So what we have here is a company where accounting accounting fraud was going on. People knew about it, if from public records or internal sources, we don't know, Uh, maybe both. And these guys, you know, short sellers, they have an interest in the stock price tanking. And they went to journalists who have an interest in something like this being published, right? They they don't have an interest in stock uh, stock price tanking, unless they're shorting the company, and that would be I don't know, if, don't know if that would be illegal, but it, it would be highly uh, highly ethically questionable. I mean, one of my rules is uh, I'm a very politically interested person, but as you know, um, you know, you know, as you know from this podcast, but. Um, I've never become a member of a party political party because I don't think that is something a journalist should do, and I don't hold any stock now. One reason for that is that I'm shit with financials, and it would probably be horrible if i did um but also i don't um I don't think that's that's ethical I don't think that's good for a journalist right i mean it's it's different if let's say let's say uh, we, we, me and my wife, we decide okay for like um for like retirement fund or whatever. We want have a we want we want to uh have a hire a guy who handles like stock you know have a stock depot or something. Or my wife would actually say, "Oh, let's I'm gonna I'm gonna um gonna buy some stock." In that case, um I would that that would be okay with me, but I didn't I wouldn't want to know about it. Like I wouldn't, I would say, I would actually tell her, don't, don't tell me what kind of stock we we own. Um, because I completely want to have that separate. It's kind of like a- advertising and editorial, you know, just keep that separate. But yeah, I prefer to not have any stock and I don't have any stock right now. Oh, I don't know if you could hear that, but that, that was a rescue helicopter that apparently took off from Hamburg, uh, international airport and just flew very, very, uh, low over my flat. Like, really low. Um, But, yeah, uh, probably some grown-up business. So, uh, yeah. So, I I I would hope that these journalists, especially if they work for the FT, don't own any stock. Uh, Especially don't own any stock that they write about. But, um, so, it kind of makes sense that these whistleblowers, you know, short sellers, can be whistleblowers as well. And that these people go to journalists, and that journalists publish that because journalists need to publish that because the public needs to know, right? Um, now, what what Wirecard apparently did was like saying, you know, uh, getting BaFin to start, a, you know, to to start a criminal complaint uh, against these people and against journalists for doing their job, you know, alleging that they were manipulating the stock price to profit from it. And meanwhile, the regulator um, obviously didn't investigate the company. They, they'd rather investigate journalists and whistleblowers. Quote, the Wirecard scandal did not come out of the blue, end quote, said Florian Tonka, a member of parliament for the business friendly FDP. This is a German political party it's a mystery to me why the finance minister and BAFIN did not shed light on the matter much earlier there's no single reason for the failings of germany's regular regular um on the, shed on the matter. So, quote, it's a mystery to me why the finance minister and Baffin did not shed light on the matter much earlier, end quote. There's no single reason for the failings of Germany's regulatory apparatus, according to academics and the handful of politicians who over the past year became alarmed at the gravity of the problems emerging at Munich-based Wirecard. They instead point to a corporate culture, historically wary of foreign speculators, a refusal to doubt what appeared a rare German tech champion, and more specifically, the inability of Germany's regulatory system to deal with a payments company. Wow. And now they're waking up, but only after (laughs) a private sector auditor found some problems. Right? (laughs) Not when the whistleblowers told them there were problems uh quoting more from this story, uh which is of course also from FT again. They've been on this case for for years. And you know, actually they've their journalists been sued uh over this. So I'm 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 very happy for them. I'm very happy that they uh f- you know this company's finally taking down and uh, you know congrats to FT for keeping writing on this, keeping being on this story. I think that's great. Good job guys quote my impression was for a long time that Wirecard was seen as this delicate homegrown plant that needed to be protected end quote said Fabio De Masi a Ber- Berlin lawmaker with left wing Die Linke party and one of the few politicians who take an interest in the Wirecard scandal early on Die Linke by the way um, is a successor party of the old East German one party like you know when Americans talk about socialists these guys are actual thought so- well I don't think, th- you know, the modern Die Linke isn't really socialist, but, you know, they're actually the direct descendants of a party that was the social Socialist Unity Party. They're actual socialists. <laughs> Anyone asking awkward questions about its business, quote, was seen as trying to run down Germany and its finance sector, end quote, he added. That attitude changed this week, and even BaFin was moved to issue a mea culpa. Felix Hufeld, its president, told attendees of a conference on Monday that, quote, a whole range of private and Public entities, including my own, have not been effective enough. End quote, and preventing the quote in, at preventing the quote complete disaster. End quote. At Waikat, yeah, private and public, and yeah, 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 sure. But you're the fucking regulator, mate. I, you should. I think that guy should step down. I mean, this is like, fuck. Um, but we'll we'll see why there's a problem. With Barfin, which is not necessarily this guy's fault. I mean, he's in the prime position to change all of this, but you know. So this is something I actually know about that I've written about. I mean, I've written about fintech in the past, and this echoes problems with PayPal. I mean, for years, you know, I've, you know, I obviously take, um, I have PayPal as a provider. If you want to support the show. And we we had this in the past for other podcasts, and I've talked about this on other podcasts for a long time. Um, I talked about this back on Linux Outlaws, even, I think. Um, PayPal, I've always found a bit um, iffy, and I've never been a fan of Elon Musk because of PayPal. Um, PayPal is, uh, you know, a service that solves an actual problem um that banks weren't able to solve i'm you know I'm, I'm i'm talking from german perspective here you know let's let's keep that in mind i'm going to keep this in a german perspective you know german banks uh very traditional for a long time and this is why the fintech sector is growing so rapidly because german banks are very um innovation unfriendly uh even hostile uh for the longest time but uh the, the 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 problem here is that paypal so in germany banks are very very tightly regulated and there are many many um consumer protection laws and rules and all this all this stuff in place that you know bafin also regulates i mean there's there's all this kind of stuff you know that if you have a bank account and that gets hacked um it's always I mean, this is changing now, which is, you know, part of the PayPal and the FinTech problem. But, you know, traditionally it it always needs to be like, it's always the bank's problem first. They have to give you the money back. They'd actually have to prove that you like basic in the beginning. It was like you'd you'd basically have to conspire with the hackers. Um, now they're moving that onus more and more to the customer, but that's one of the reasons. one of the impacts of PayPal because when PayPal came along, um, they're a financial company. They're not a bank and not a bank under german law um i don't know if this changed now if they actually have a banking license but as far as i know they don't and they don't really need to because they're a you know a technology they're a payment processor that's always what the german um, lawmakers and the regulators have always said now the problem here is that paypal from the i'm i'm you know i run this Podcast. I've said this in the beginning I should probably say this more often you know this is not a tinfoil hat privacy podcast this is a podcast from the view of the consumer everything I try to do is as a journalist is from the view of the consumer and the normal people I don't fucking care about what the lawmakers think like at their perspective if it informs our perspective if you gain something from it yes but you know my default view is from the view of a consumer and you know Traditionally, I mean, I've written about Linux and security and stuff. So, a, a very, not like your everyday consumer. I'm getting into writing more and more of that stuff lately um, because I find it's interesting and I find it's important because technology you know impacts all of us not only us guys who are nerds and techies but you know we're consumers as well so that has always been my focus and from that from that viewpoint paypal is basically doing everything a bank does i mean i'm using paypal a lot of time because i mean that's why it became huge because everyone wants to send somebody money now i use paypal because the money's there immediately and a bank transfer traditionally in germany took two days and that wasn't even guaranteed i think they're guaranteed like three days um and depending on what bank you were but I, at the beginning I can remember back in the day when I was at Deutsche Bank oh my god fucking Deutsche Bank uh, it, it took you like three days took three days you know this was like the beginning of the internet you were trying no not the beginning of the internet like this was like when e-commerce started to take off right we're talking like 2007 2008 here and you actually started to buy stuff on the internet i mean it's okay if you use something like amazon but like if you use a smaller shop and they just had bank transfer right you'd be like what is this why am why is everybody waiting like i could have this product already what the fuck's going on and so PayPal solved the real problem. And, you know, they 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 do stuff that from a from a consumer perspective is what a bank does, but they're not a bank. And which means that, you know, if I have money in my bank account and the bank thinks, oh, there's money laundering going on, right? They need to, like, talk to me. They can't just, like, freeze my assets, right? The police can do that, but the bank just can't just go... Oh, uh, you're not, you're not pulling anything from this account because you're money laundering. Not when you're a normal, you know, private, private citizen with a bank account. You know, this is not a company bank account, stuff like this. I mean, you have rights. You have consumer rights. You need this bank account to live, right? You need to pay. You need to buy food. They can't just shut it down. PayPal can just do that and they will. And they do quite. I mean, back in the day, they did, they did that regularly. Like, you paid money to some co- company they'd never heard of, like some microtransaction for a video game, like paper would just go, no, account's locked. And they still do that, right? I, I, I watch this YouTuber. I mean, okay, this is a far fetched example, but just one example. I watch this YouTuber who like. um yeah, he's got lots of money and he's like, actually lots of money. He's uh, like a millionaire and he sells like magic cards, right? He has like a Patreon where you can sign up and you can, you can buy magic cards to certain lower prices. I think only if you're in the US or whatever, but he had to sale to his patrons, right? And it was hugely popular. He had under, underestimated what a pro, what, what money, how much money you could get for a certain like magic booster box product. And usually he limits them to a certain amount per person. And he had a much higher limit on this because he thought, Oh, it's the Rona and the economy is crap. Nobody's spending any money on magic cards. And like people kept buying us and this he just saw money flying into his PayPal account and he had like he had to pull all the plugs and shut it all down uh, because he actually didn't have enough product and he had later on he had to buy that product, but whatever. But he got like seven hundred thousand dollars into his um PayPal account in like 20 minutes or something so paper shut the account down it's just shut down you're probably money laundering and they don't even like really tell you and they don't get in contact you have to get in contact with them and you basically have to back them you have to explain why you're not money laundering like in germany it would be the other way around right the owners would be on on the bank if the bank thinks you're money laundering they have they love to prove that they can't just go no you have to prove to us that you're not money laundering and so the introduction of PayPal and you know other services like this, but mostly PayPal has, has had a big impact on these con on these consumer protections because the banks now actually are weakening these consumer protections as well. And they're actually moving the owners, like if your bank account gets hacked into towards the customer and, and stuff like that, because they're basically saying, look at these, look at PayPal. Like they're doing what we're doing, but they're not like regulated the same way. It's not fair. And the German solution is like the, the solution we have right now is like, yeah, okay. Okay. Then you get relaxing rules as well. Instead of doing the obvious, which is saying, well, the BaFin has to regulate these guys as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but they're not, um, so this is, this is a huge problem because you have companies that in, at least in a certain field are basically doing the same thing, but they're not beholden to the same standards. um, and, uh, so, so going on with this story, Gerhard Schick, a former MP and now head of Finance Watch Germany, a pro-consumer lobby group, said that part of BaFin's inertia over Weikart stemmed from an institutional inability to carve out its role in a fluid and complex, complex environment. Quote, Weikart is yet another example showing that BaFin is systematically failing to cope with complex situations where it does not have a clearly defined legal remit but needs to define its own role, end quote, said Mr. Schick, who describes the watchdog as, quote, too formalistic and timid. A limited legal remit means that, unlike its counterparts in many countries, Barfin lacks the power of a criminal prosecutor and has limited authority to investigate potential account manipulations. Moreover, it has has traditionally been dominated by lawyers who take a very narrow view on its role. In practice, that means Wirecard was treated as a technology company rather than a financial services provider, putting the holding com- holding company outside Barfin's direct oversight even as it regulated Wirecard Bank. Quote, it is unacceptable that a big payment service provider enters the DAX, and nobody at the upper echelon at Barfin is asking the question how it is supervised, end quote, said Mr Sheik. And I'm completely down with that. Um, so that's that's my um, recap of what, what has happened and why there are criminal investigations and you know, what the problem is. And, you know, just to close that point, uh, I mean, it's pretty clear from this that we need to reform BaFin and that they need to look at companies like that as well. Um, I mean, if you, and you know, why had a subsidiary and had a banking license. I mean, if, if that is the case, if, if a company owns ho- wholly owns another company and that has a banking license, I think the regulator should, get, should look at everything, right? If BMW wants to open a bank and they open BMW Bank and BMW Bank belongs to BMW, then now you have to regulate all of BMW, I feel. Because like that banking, you know, BMW bank or, you know, wirecard bank is not going to be an independent thing, right? They they get the orders from the bigger company that, you know, that's why they open the bank because they want their own bank and they want to do with their bank, what they want to do. And they can do that, but they should be regulated as a bank. I feel, I mean, it's not like, it's not like other banks aren't huge. I mean, you know, and they have other businesses, right? There's, there's banks who have insurance businesses and stuff like that. Um, and banks, you know, the, the the traditional banks will get into barfin. They will get into uh, barfin uh, fintech. Sorry, <laughs> uh, my brain. Um, you know, they will they will get into these these fields as well. So I mean, fintech should be regulated like it's a bank. I think that's a no brainer. And I think that really needs to happen. Yeah. Now, why are we actually talking about this topic? Well, because NPR called me out and um. They did an they did an episode on uh they have a podcast called Invisibilia, which they say is Latin for invisible something. I don't know. Uh which is probably right. Uh and they um so they ran this episode which 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 is interesting. And let's let's get this out of the way at first. I'm like one of the reasons I'm doing this is because I mean you can you can have a different opinion, this is taste, but you know. I want. I, I don't want anybody to l- listen to NPR podcast. Podcast. It's horrible. I mean, they're mad. At, I mean, they obviously have good content, but the way they put these podcasts together is just like, just listen to this. Listen to this. This is a long example, but listen to this.
1: So here's what I want you to think about. All right.
0: Let's. Say- I, mean, I mean, starting with that, there's the, the vocal fry. Here, here's here's what I want you to think about. Please think about. Think
1: about this. This happened to you. How would you feel next time you have to open the door? I mean, I would feel like I was stuck in a Ben Affleck movie. <laughs> you know, I would just feel like things are not going well for me. I have like fallen down a horrible rabbit hole. Yeah. So, what happened to Matthew was. And
0: that, that's, of course, when the shitty music
1: kicks in. He stopped being able to tell, like, is this the UPS guy? Is this mm-hmm. not the UPS guy? Like, is this the gardener? Is right. this not the gardener? You know? So, it was like one day he's this totally normal, average guy living an average life. Totally normal, average guy? They sound like they're
0: from a fucking
1: sitcom. And then he's pushed into this new world where he has to second guess everything. So that's what I want to look at today. What do you do when you land in a situation where you really just don't know anymore who or what to trust? Like, your compass is off. What do you do? We'll see.
0: Why is this break here? Why is there a break? Why is there? What do you do? Well, we'll see. Let's just play some music. Just waste everybody's time.
1: So the thing that made this...
0: And it's not even good music, like the Wuhan flu jingle, right? It's not
1: not even funny. ...ordeal, extra hard for Matthew, is that he has kind of a hall monitor vibe. He's a guy who basically trusts people in... Hall monitor vibe? Who talks like this? ...charge, and his basic worldview is that there are good guys and bad guys. And if the bad guys do something wrong, the good guys will hunt them down. For example, in college, he worked as a bartender... But not the fun, anything goes, coyote ugly kind of bartender. The
0: what? I mean, let's leave aside how they talk, right? They talk like this. I mean, I have, I, I say basically every five minutes, I say uh, uh, uh every, I, I mean, I can't get rid of that. That's just how I talk. That's okay. I find that annoying. I find this valley girl. I mean, it's not about them being, you know, being women. I don't, I don't, I, I don't give a fuck about that, but like that, that, that maybe they're too American for me. I don't know. But, you know, that's one thing. I could get over that. But then this whole, like, the music is annoying. And then this whole, I fucking hate, we have to make a story out of everything. We have to tell us, I mean, I'm telling a story here. I'm telling you a story. I'm going along, you know, uh, uh, my show notes. I'm, 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 I'm reading you stuff from, from articles. I mean, that's a, that's a narrative. That's a story, right? You don't have to, like, just, oh, he has kind of a home, home monitor vibe. Blah, blah, blah. That's how I imagine him. He's he's like this, and then oh, it's like Coyote Agni. I mean, what the fuck? I hate that. I had that in written journalism, by the way, as well. I read this. No, I'm while researching this. I had a story on uh, the site, and it's like, oh my god, when you go when when you get trained as a journalist and you go to a course, they tell you these story so, to, to to write stories, and it's always the same beginning, and and you know this begins it's like it's it's 7:45 a.m. Matthew is sitting in his kitchen, his hair is slightly unkempt, he looks a bit tired, he drinks a sip of his orange juice and looks at me, that's like how the fucking story starts, like, even if you're not writing a news story, even if you're writing a story story, that is just boring fucking, that's hack, that is shit, don't make up, like, let the story speak for itself, but wait, I'm
1: like, this, this gets worse. This gets way worse. When I imagine Matthew a hot on the trail of a bad guy, in my mind, bad guy, he turns into Velma from Scooby-Doo. What? What's that? He's like the earnest and brainy one. So everyone else is futzing around, making sandwiches, doing whatever, and, whatever. and Velma slash Matthew is using her smarts gathering the clues and putting the puzzle pieces together
0: i'd be fucking pissed off if you did a fucking podcast story on me and you'd like compare me to a fucking scooby-doo character start off here and you're looking at this company and and how and this this story he's british
1: as well he's probably what the squeeze the what the fuck Line here. This CEO and that bank transfer. And then it goes to bank <laughs> transfer. Well, hold on. There's this bit here. Who's behind this company? And like, ooh, look at that. There's ten other companies. And then it, you know, it becomes ever expanding. He's plotting it all on a graph. And oh my God, the whole picture is coming together. The scale is immense. He's figured it out. He's done it. Jinkies. jinkies, jinkies. You just stay up all night or what happens? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Jinkies? What the fuck, guys? I mean the way
0: they cut that together with them and that is so annoying. You know, I I was I thought the story was interesting, and I was riveted by the story, but at the same time, I wanted to throw my iPhone out of the window because this is just so fucking... I don't know. Anyway, that's why I don't usually listen to NPR, and why I don't want you... Well, you can listen to whatever you want, but, you know... In in my mind, if you don't have to, it's even better. I mean, I, I can talk like this, and I can put some funky music on the... Oh, God. <sighs> I mean, I could. I mean, you know, what? And now, now we're talking about, uh, what would we, oh, God, no, I can't, I can't do it. I mean, I could technically, I mean, could technically, as you can see, could technically do it, but I, I don't want to do it. Um, but this is a good podcast. I put a link in the show notes. I mean, the, the information is, information is good. They did some good research. Now, one thing I'm, I, I find a bit weird is they held on to this podcast until basically this whole shit broke loose. And their excuse is kind of, Corona, I guess, but I mean, you can you can hear, I mean, they explain that at the beginning of the show, they have like this disclaimer.
1: Hey listeners, quick note before we get started, the episode you're about to hear was actually slated to run as part of our regular spring season, before so much happened in this country. Anyway, we'd already decided to hold the episode until we got some answers to the central mystery in the story which we did this week. So here it is.
0: So I guess they were going to run this uh, early in the year, like in the spring. And then of course, coronavirus happened and whatever, like the protest now. And they decided uh, to hold it. And now because all this other card stuff came out, they were like, oh no, we have to run it now, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But um, this episode is based in part of a report uh, which is pretty long, which I've also linked in the show notes from the show notes from the um, which is from the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab, which I guess you know m- many people will know, and they pu- published this at the beginning of June, and I kind of feel like that's kind of weird because beginning of June and then a bit later these reports came out from like the auditors, and that's when it all kicked off. So I don't know if. Citizen Lab kicked that off with their reporting or if that was just a coincidence, I don't know. Because, like, this story from this guy um, who is uh, Matthew Earl, I mean, this goes down to, it goes back to, like, this goes back years. Like, he in the story beginning, he talks about um, 2016 when basically he was running a, so he was a short seller and he was running this financial um research company which research stuff on companies. Uh, and uh, which which and here's where it gets gets a bit murky. I don't see him as I don't know. I don't want to judge him. I don't know about this. But like the NPR points him in a completely positive light. They're like, he's the victim. This is all that happened to him. And but if you read into the story, if you read into the Citizen Lab report, and then uh, especially um, uh, there's an FT report, and then there's a report on the Wall Street Journal, which I've I've linked all of this in the show notes. Um, you will see that I don't know. He was so he was running this financial research company and doing like research from you know open information, all above board, on companies. Um, I think this uh, his company was called Zatara or something. And um, he published this information on Wirecard. He did this research with an acquaintance of him, like a, a you know a, a colleague uh, in this in this company they had together. And he published this anonymously. They the, those two published these findings on Wirecard um, on what they have found on why they thought they were doing uh, account fraud and not reporting their accounting correctly. And they published that anonymously. And then the FT picked it up, another publication picked it up. And I feel like it's not completely above. It does feel a bit murky because it was published anonymously. On the other hand, you can kind of understand why. Because um if you go, if you read into this... um you will actually see um, that other short sellers, I mean, it was kind of known that Wirecard was going aggr- against these people, was defending it uh, themselves against them. The Wall Street Journal puts it this way. Wirecard made an aggressive defense against the criticism by these short sellers. Some invest- investors said they purposely kept their short bets below the threshold required for disclosure for years to avoid catching the company's attention. So, people knew that it was going something, something was fishy. I think that's why they published this, um, report anonymously. Now, once this report was published, like all this shit happened to Matthew. Um, there was a, um, a report, uh, another anonymous report published, uh, on the internet and people were tweeting it at him. And it, um, I mean, NPR goes into this in great detail, but I put a, I put a screenshot from the Citizen Lab thing, um, report into the show notes where you can see like this, this, this thing. And it was basically, so somebody had made up this report on, um, the, these, uh, the, his Matthews and his partner's financial research company is called Zatara and it's called Zatara RIP and they're calling them criminals and insider trading people. And they're basically, um, um, making up information about Matthew. Um, there are pictures in there. There's like a picture uh, of Matthew where he's like at his front door, and he has no idea who shot this picture. And so, you know, this this went online, and then you know, basically, they're they're trying to slander him and trying to put out information that is not true. Um, to kind of silence him and to scare him and this turns into like a complete um, I would call it psychological warfare, warfare campaign I mean there there were people following him uh, there were people at his house taking pictures of him uh, taking pictures of his family um, and then at, at one point in the middle of or in the evening when it was already dark they like two people come up to his house and they kind of you know he had the door locked like with a chain but they're kind of asking him about like Wirecard and stuff like that. And uh, and it later turns out that these were uh, private investigators that were hired uh, by Wirecard. Wirecard says they never did anything uh, illegal or questionable. Uh, they were basically supposed to serve in papers or something. I, I don't know what uh, what was going on. But he is also, um, he is named, uh, He threatened by Wirecard. Yeah. Uh, um, Attorneys basically he's basically uh named in a criminal uh case against him. This is the thing against him and the Financial Times and you know uh so basically he says in the um in the NPR piece that he called up the whistleblower hotline of BaFin. And they were basically putting him on hold. They were like, at first they were like, yeah, we speak English. And then, yeah, English is fine. And then he was like, yeah, I want to talk to you about information about Wirecard. And suddenly the other guy said, oh, well, my English is not that well. Let me put you through through to somebody and he gets nowhere. Or they hang up on him. So he has the, uh, he thinks that the German authorities are really interested in investigating Wirecard. And all the things that's happening to him. Now, the... um like people following him, taking pictures, all that kind of shit, you know, like this this false information about him being published online. There is, um, in the Citizen Lab report, is mostly about a hacking for hire operation by a company. Um, I mean, they're pretty positive that they've traced it to this company. They can't say for sure, but um, they suspect it's an Indian company called Beltrox Infotech Services, and apparently they're a hack for hire outfit uh their company uh, their website has been pulled you know their their phone is not connected you can't reach them anymore since this story in public but um let's let's talk about the uh let's let's read from the financial times story here on this investigation researchers discovered almost 28,000 web pages created by hackers for personalized spear phishing attacks designed to steal passwords according to a report published on Tuesday by citizen lab part of the University of Toronto's Monk School. The report said <laughs> Monk School's just it's like Monk School. It's a jungle out there. Um, the report said a large cluster of targeted individuals and organizations were involved in environmental issues Uh, The report said a large cluster of targeted individuals and organizations were involved in environmental issues and had campaigned against ExxonMobil, the oil producer. They included the Rockefeller Family Fund, the Climate Investigation Center, Greenpeace, Conservation Law Foundation and the Union of Concerned Scientists. Quote, the growth of a hacking fire industry may be fueled by the increasing normalization of other forms of commercialized cyber offensive activity from digital surveillance to hacking back, whether marketed to private individuals, governments or the private sector, end quote, the report said. Prominent example was the targeting of hedge fund short hedge funds, short sellers, journalists and investigators working on topics related to accounting irregularities irregularities at German payment processor Wirecard. Citizen Lab said that in case of Wirecard critics, quote, some individu- individuals were targeted almost daily for months and continued to receive messages for years, end quote. So this, uh, this Matthew Earl character has been, he's been inundated apparently for years with very, very sophisticated phishing attacks. Like, you know, stuff from friends apparently or like uh, tailored to like the websites he frequents. So they're, very detailed like they spied on him and figured out you know what sites he frequents and then constantly try to catch him off guard like several times a day with uh phishing emails and obviously like if he reacts to that they'll get his password or whatever and then maybe even access to his computer and then they would have done uh, even worse things Um, The report also said private emails from some of those targeted were made public through online posts, including one in which correspondence between a Financial Times journalist and a researcher for a corporate intelligence firm was published in 2016. I guess this is part of the Matthew Earl thing. The Citizen Lab report said previous hacking cases indicated that such hacking was arranged quote, through a murky set of contractual payment and information-sharing layers that may include law firms and private investigators, in which allows clients a degree of deniability and distance. The Citizen Lab investigation was launched after it was contacted contacted in 2017 by a Reuters journalist who had investigated Wirecard and was targeted by a phishing campaign, according to the people familiar with the situation. According to people. A number of FT journalists were also targeted with emails purporting to be from friends and colleagues, in some cases using photographs, lifted from social media accounts. Um, so this is... Apparently, uh, I mean, we don't know. But, but, but what this looks like is Wirecard was having problems with short sellers. And they know this. And they kind of had BaFin on their side, you know, who suspended trading for a while there for the first time ever, like short selling. Um, And it looks like they hired this Indian company to just, you know, hack people, harass them, uh, hired private investigators to basically silence this guy to muzzle this guy right to scare him to gaslight him i mean he there oh me, my god they have on the npr thing they have like um recordings where the the npr uh, lady is talking to him on the phone it's like a christmas party and that guy is drunk i mean he's he's the, he is as drunk on the phone as only a British guy would be. Like anybody else wouldn't wouldn't pick up the phone when they would like oh, it's, it's really bad. I was in London. It's taking pictures of me everywhere. Like he's fucking hammered. <laughs> um So he was falling apart there for a while. He's actually ever since this report was published about him, like this misinformation stuff, he's never uh, held any wire card um, positions. I don't think he's doing short selling anymore. Um, he now runs a financial research company. So he's, he's on Twitter at Lord Ships Trade, uh, and he runs a company called Shadowfall, um, focused on aggressive accounting, flawed business models, unethical business conduct. Maybe she's still, she's still doing short selling. Definitely still doing um the the you know the research um which is good i i find it uh, good that this guy didn't let them win uh incredibly resilient um yeah i mean he had to spend like 100,000 pounds in 100,000 pounds in legal fees and all this kind of stuff so uh the company originally was called zaterra research and investigations basically he and his partner were doxxed and all this information was published about them. Um, so let's quote again from this, uh, Washington, uh, no, it's a Wall Street Journal, uh, story, uh, in December of 2016, Mr. Earl uh, received letters from Wirecard's outside lawyers that accused him of defamation and malicious falsehood, among other things. Um, Okay, maybe we should, I, I think I'm gonna, this is, I'm, I'm nearly done, I'm gonna read this whole thing. Matthew Earl, who runs a research and invest, investment firm called Shadowfall Capital and Research in London, spent more than £100,000, $123,000 on legal and other fees defending himself when the company pursued him over critical reports in 2016 under the name of the tarot research and investigations mr earl and a former partner fraser Pering, accused Wirecard of corruption corporate fraud and money lax laund- money laundering controls in part related to illegal online gambling allegations the company denied at the time i think we're going to find out this all this is true um i mean there there will be a lot of investigations going on in germany connected to this now and i feel like hey it's in the dna of the company and right? that's how they started you know with with murky porn sites, with other, you know, maybe weird money flows, and other companies didn't want to touch that, and they did that from the beginning, and, you know, it just sounds like that. In December of 2016, Mr. Earl received letters from Wirecard's outside lawyers that accused him of defamation and malicious falsehood, among other things. He noticed a car parked outside his home, which followed him to the train station, on at least one occasion. In one of the letters reviewed by the Wall Street Journal, Wycard's lawyer, Jones Day, confirmed that, quote, private investigators undertook limited and lawful surveillance, end quote. They argued this was necessary to ensure he was available to receive an urgent letter and denied that it was, quote, disruptive, persistent, or intimidatory. Right. Jones Day declined to comment. Mr. Earl, who has had no bets on the company's shares since the Satara episode and others, including Blue Ridge C- Capital, su- this is an investment firm in Australia, I think, suffered cyber attacks, which they believed were connected to their wirecard positions. The Citizen Lab, part of the Monksville, blah, 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 found in a report this month that hackers engaged in sustained targeting of short sellers, journalists and investigators working on topics related to wirecard. Mr. Earl is one of those targeted by a group based in India, according to the report. And uh as we know, all making you know, what what was making it worse is that Barfin wasn't on the side. Complicating the Complicating matters for the Shorts, why so short sellers, Wirecard found allies in Germany's financial regulator, BaFin. The government watchdog opened multiple investigations into potential market manipulations by Wirecard short sellers over the past decade, including against Mr. Earl. In 2019, after the Financial Times published a series of critical articles about Wirecard's accounting, the company sued the newsletter. BaFin then opened the probe against the lead writer. And you're like but um so that's it that's the story why why do i find this interesting why do i think we need to look at it so what we have here essentially is a company um using all these sh- using all these shadowy methods um one could even call it you know psychological warfare to intimidate and silence critics now you can think about short sellers uh whatever you want but i don't think what these guys did was illegal and i don't think anything the journalists uh did was illegal uh you know thinking about short sellers what what you want i mean i'm positive that what the journalists were doing was their job and who wasn't doing their job was obviously the regulators here in Germany. Um, but I mean, you have, you have this company who's basically attacking people, right? They're, they're, they're using the worst. And I mean, this was like gaslighting, right? There were, there were, this was so bad. They were actually psychologically trying to get to this old guy, right? Make him, um, Make him doubt his own sanity, or not want to. Um, definitely not wanting to pursue this anymore. Um, I mean, he describes a lot of this in the NPR podcast, and I don't think you need to go into it in such detail. But like, the the main part being is like, you know, you, you this is your job. You're doing this stuff, right? And then the stuff gets published on the internet, and all, like all the all your peers right? They read that like your, your relatives, they read that and everybody's like, people are like, you know, he describes it that he was thinking like people think when there's smoke, there's fire, right? They, they, there must be something to it. And people start to doubt him. Right. And he's like, what can I do? Like if I, if I explain to anybody what I think is happening, they just think I'm an idiot. Like they think I'm, I'm insane. They think I'm a conspiracy theorist. What? There's this German bank who's like sending private investigators to your door and like trying to hack your email. Are you insane, right? I mean, this is how people would react. This, you get called a conspiracy theorist. Like they, that's how this how this tactic works. And um, I mean, it's it's one thing if they go after journalists, right? You as a journalist, I think, as much as as my colleagues like to to protest and you know it's right it's right to protest with something like this but you kind of know that you kind of know you're putting yourself into harm's way right if i if i was going to write about a, a story about a company i know has like shady business practices and and even even though i don't know right i i i i expect this kind of stuff um but nonetheless it's scary right this extreme invasion of privacy like this is scary. Scary to everybody, and it'll it'll put off journalists who believe me don't need to be put off. There's, I mean, there's precious little of like reporting like this going on. Actual investigative reporting with the backbone going on as it is. I mean, it'll definitely put off whistleblowers. It'll put off everybody. I mean, this is we we're now living in a society basically where telling the truth and wanting to incorrect uh, to correct injustices like that you perceive in society can can become or can feel very dangerous and it, i mean this is this is getting worse it's not getting better and it's not getting worse because the attackers um are using um you know the the attackers getting more they were just brazen. Like if you read this report, they weren't even very sophisticated, that sophisticated. You could, you could do it much more sophisticated, which would be more scary even. Right. But, um, that's not a problem. Like, it's not a problem that people can do this now or will do this. Now that's not a problem. The problem is society as a whole. I worry that, you know, if something, you get all these, like these Twitter lynch mobs right now, right. You get, you have cancel culture. Um, People want to jump on these things, so if people publish something, uh, just imagine if somebody somebody made up some shit about me, and I'd be saying no, it's not right. I've said so many unpopular things in the past. People would just jump on me, like like no, um, like nobody's business, right? And it's like I don't want. <laughs> This is the problem I see with things like you know me too, and believe all women. It's not like that I don't think the cause is right the cause is, the cause is just it's great it's we need more of that men are fucking assholes. we know this, everybody knows this you know we know that this shit is going on, and this shit needs to be um needs to be fought against. but the problem in the way people are doing is is that this is not the public's job. Right, people should report this. The media needs to write about this, and then investigators and criminal prosecutors need to look at this. And you know, if there if there has been harassment or stuff like this, this is a job for the for the prosecutors. And yes, we need to get the prosecutors and the regulators to work. Like, not in this case, you know, we need to improve that. We need to improve that. We need to improve the police. You get no argument from me there. Uh, but the problem with like believe all women and stuff like that is. That leaves the door open to this kind of thing. And we know that there's misinformation out there, right? It's been reported everywhere. It's like, you know, usually it's been reported, well, the Russians are trying to influence the American elections. Be that as it may, we know that this is out there. And There you can see that companies are doing this. They're hiring other companies to do this shit. And if they do that against you, right, if they fabricate a, f- a claim That, you know, if you're a guy and they fabricate a claim that you raped a woman and it's convincing enough and people start shouting, believe all women. It doesn't matter what you say, right? It doesn't matter if there's actual proof. It doesn't matter if, uh, if, if there's any, if there's even enough to open an investigation, as long as you, you move the public, the public perception of the fact that you are, um, you you you've, you did this whether you how ridiculous the claim is or not um i mean you're done like there there's a claim like that you're done right there's there's a very famous german uh weather guy he used to be on television doing ve- weather uh forever like i grew up with him being on tv and he got uh so his was his wife or his girlfriend? i don't a, a woman in his life claimed he raped her and he always said he was innocent and uh the whole case fell apart in court and he got acquitted completely acquitted like he's not there's no doubt in the legal system that he's innocent but like he's done he was never on tv anymore and like He's actually sued newspapers and stuff like the Yellow Press for ruining his uh, his name. Whatever his name is, still ruined. Like he, um, there were some some uh, uh, polls done where they basically asked people, "Do you do you think he did it?" Right, and, and there's a lot of people still think he actually. They never heard the news that like, he was completely acquitted, and that it is it is most likely that the woman who accused him made made it up as a revenge thing. Um, and they had all kinds of holes in her story, whatever. Uh, but like, my point is, once that happens, even if you get acquitted, like you, you, you ruined. Like your career is fucked. And people actually, you know, they want that. They want this. This cancel people. right? cancel them. If there's any, if there's any doubt, cancel them. Cancel them. Get them out of their job. And this is exactly the kind of reaction that these companies are using. Um, and that they will use, that they will use against people, and we need as a society need to be aware of this. We need to figure this out. And one of the reasons, th- this is also one of the reasons why we need privacy. I'm actually planning about uh, in the future to do a show about. Actually, I need to write that down. Otherwise, I'm going to tell you this now, and I'm going to forget. Um, right. We just write it. Down. So I'm going to do.
1: Private citizens.
0: I, I I plan to do a show on post privacy and why I don't think post privacy. Um, I mean that's a it's a concept and an idea and I I think it's it's very wrong uh, and it's dangerous even maybe but I'm going to explain why I think it's wrong and one of the aspects is stuff like this because. So, my personal journey with this topic is I, I'm very transparent. I'm not a very private person, which is kind of funny uh, now that I do this podcast. But I've I've lived I've lived a very very transparent life. Not completely, you know, not everything you th- you probably think is true about me is true. There's some stuff I've never talked about, of course. Um, but I'm 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 very transparent. And um, so I, for the, for the longest time, I was actually kind of. Um, sympathizing with like post privacy. I was kind of like, yeah, maybe that's true. Like maybe, maybe privacy will be gone in the future. Um But what I've learned in, in recent day uh, recent years by looking at politics and what's going on in social media and, you know, people blame hate speech and, and that's the bad thing about social media and stuff like that. I, my, the worrying trend I see is, is is this, this kind of um reflects by people to want to, change the world on Twitter, right? That, that would be uh, saying it, putting a point on it, right? They don't want to go out. They don't want to do anything that's, that's actually taxing, like actually protest or, I mean, okay, now people are actually protesting, but you know, they don't want to do something in their life. They just want to be on Twitter. And if they can, if they can change the world, air quotes on Twitter, and some people think like changing their avatar, changing their Twitter names, changing the world, um, then I want to do that. And one of the things they can do is actually put pressure on other people, you know, try to get them canceled and stuff like that. And I see this, there's a move towards like this mob, mob, lynch mob mentality, this this social justice lynch mob, which has nothing to do with justice. Uh, Right? There are two basic definitions of justice. One is the ethical, moral one and the other one is the the legal one. And in both cases, this is not justice. It is clearly not the legal one because we live in state, you know, chances are you're listening to this like me, you live in a um, parliamentary democracy, and we live in states that are built on it being the state's um, responsibility to do this, to have a legal system, right? To decide if somebody did something or not and then punish them. It's not the job of the public to punish people. And it's not of the job of the public to investigate things. Large I mean sometimes they have to. Like in this case, you know, this would have never come out if these people hadn't I mean I'm not saying as, yes, you know, sharing information like that. But it's the job of the the state to judge that. And there's, there's a good reason for that. And I mean one of the reasons is also the ethical moral one. Because to be honest, you don't know, right? If somebody says Joe Biden raped Tara Reid, you know, I can't decide. I don't know. I don't have any proof, right? I shouldn't be the one calling to cancel him, right? Yeah, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't do that. That's not. That's not how it works. That's that's why we have a legal system, and that's also a moral imperative because i'm not morally i shouldn't put myself in a position where i decide that right at this point we are peers we are both citizens and i i shouldn't i shouldn't do that um it's not right of me to do that and because on the on the lowest level um it's the uh oh god what's that called uh the uh, What's Kant's? People will be shouting at me now. Kant's, is it the moral imperative? Uh, let me see. I don't even know what's called in English. Kant's. Uh, oh, the categorical imperative. Yeah. The categorical imperative. So that's like Kant's central idea about morals. And, uh, you know, it basically, basically said, you know should you should act and you know if, if you have a moral question how how you should act you should act like that how you act in that you should be okay with how you act in this situation becoming the principle of how a universal law of like human society works right so basically don't do unto others as they would do unto you right so don't don't on 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 spurious information on on no evidence on not knowing the people involved go and say i want to cancel this guy on twitter because if people do that to you and you lose your job you know and maybe for something you didn't do you wouldn't want that right categorical categorical imperative you wouldn't want that uh, it also says a person should treat other people as having intrinsic value and not merely as a means to achieve one's end. Um, so think of the other person as a person, and treat them like you would treat a person in your personal life. Anyway, that's so that's that's the big problem I'm seeing here, and this is just one of the mechanisms that is that is going to play into that. Whether whether it's a company being being paid to, you know, ruin somebody's life or people just doing that to each other, I see that as a big problem. And you know, that's that's, and the, the, what I was actually sorry, I think I lost my train of thought there a little bit, but you know, why I think that transparency and no privacy doesn't doesn't solve that, because if you if you watch, I I, I thought it did, because if you are just transparent and people can see everything, I always thought it's like the open source. It's like the techie view, right? Not the techie f- techies have to view. Um Then, you know, nothing could be wrong. I mean, if you don't have anything to hide, like nothing can go wrong, right? That's the classical thing. But that's just not right because we've seen that people can just lie. They can make mi- uh, misinformation and it is happening. I mean, it is happening um, professionally on a professional level. And because of the way people react because of these lynch mobs, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter that it is not true. It doesn't protect you. The truth does not protect you in these instances, right? If they have more followers, if they have be- better reach, if they get get it published, if they get it around, and people, you know, God beware, journalists start writing stories about this kind of stuff, then you're you're screwed. There's nothing nothing you can do. So I feel like you know, probably have to have some privacy. There there has to be some. Um, some information. I don't know. I don't know who you would solve that, but you know, you know, a company sending private investigators to just surveil somebody at their at their home, and that being to t- totally legal and above board seems strikes me as wrong. Right? That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be legally. I mean, if you have a reason to do that, you should. You should. You should. Go to you know that's the state's job, right? Even even they can't like they can't just surveil you for for no. I mean they probably can you know but legally. Um, yeah, I mean intelligence services. It's difficult, but you know you know what I mean. Like the police can't just, just do that without reason, right? They need reason for this kind of thing. And why should a public com- b- b- a private company should be able to do that? I I don't I don't see that. Anyway. I don't think we can easily stop it. I think we have to be aware, though. I think this whole thing um, is something um, that will will be coming up. Hopefully not from Wirecard, because hopefully they'll get completely uh, investigated into the ground, because it sounds like they need to. I mean... <laughs> i mean you read all that stuff yeah i mean it's, just, it's probably that it will probably worse for them that they lost 1.9 million uh, billion euros i mean that's that's gonna probably break their neck not this stuff actually this st- that stuff should break their neck but i feel like this will only be a footnote um in the wider in in, in the wider uh total di- disaster that <laughs> happens to this company um but nonetheless, I thought there was an important footnote, and I thought we need to talk about that. And I hope you, um, you got something out of that. And you can tell me if you did or not, because as I said, you know, contact me. Uh, link is in the show notes, privatecitizen.press. In the feedback section, there's a link. And speaking of feedback, I have one uh, piece of feedback that I want to read uh, from value producer Jonathan M. H., who told me we were now uh, back? Well, let, let me pull an NPR here. We'll be back with the private citizen in just a moment. No, I have to have... Uh, I can't even do it. I have to have a vocal for it. We'll be back. I can't, even, I can't even fucking do it. We'll be back in just a moment. Thanks to the uh, the great No Gender podcast. Where's all this jingle from? Um, yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about uh, the, the coronavirus for a second because Jonathan writes me, uh, quoting, Denmark just launched the Corona app. Closed source and allegedly private. Uh, Jonathan lives in Denmark. If you want to flag yourself as positive... Uh, with private, I think he means you know privacy respecting. If you want to flag itself as positive, you need to log in with the government-approved two-factor tool that everybody here has, where the username is your unique citizen ID. Face palm emoji. <laughs> totally private, totally privacy. Um, yeah, okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sign in. I'm positive. I mean, okay, so the thing is, right, I don't know, but, like, that sounds bad, especially if they say, like, in Germany, that wouldn't be an issue, because in Germany, the government knows that you're infected anyway, because, I I mean, I can hardly complain, like, in Germany, we're even more Corona-Nazi, where we're like, uh, you know... Oh, it's, it's an infectious disease. You need to register. You're registered with your name, with everybody you met, every, their name, their addresses. Oh, they <laughs> apparently, um, I read now, I haven't completely like. Source this but it's see it's cropping up everywhere and it seems legit so apparently the german government what they're doing is um they're sending comp like the german uh, health uh local health offices they're sending companies like these lists of you know we have this big outbreak in a in a meat packing plant right now uh like uh like's happening in the u s uh and they are sending like these excel sheets to people like to companies they're like okay this is the infected people uh can you please tell us um who like if you had any like if any of your employees had any contact with like these people and then there's no names on it but like their full addresses <laughs> with everything and if you're like in germany uh like, okay, not for me because there's lots of people living in these. These are like a flat apartment buildings, right? But like in normal most parts of Germany, people just live in like this one family homes, right? So you know. At least you know what family it is. And they're basically just standing out these like I mean I mean, I'm gonna have I'm I'm pretty much done with the coronavirus thing. Like if something big happens to the app, I'm gonna talk about that maybe on an episode. Um, I have one more topic lined up, and then at the end, I want to do a special, uh, a kind of like it's not only coronavirus related. I want to tackle in an episode, um, basically what uses the GDPR again, because you, this this came into my mind with like all these coronavirus stuff. We have all these rules now. Um, when when you go to a restaurant, you have to, or even like I I, I was. Uh, heading north on the bike uh yesterday uh to meet my parents who are just riding around on on the motorbike up there and um i I just want to meet them and we want to meet in a cafe and i was there earlier like this you know uh bakery thing and and, you know i i just want to sit outside with my fucking uh um you know my 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 bread roll and I, I had to give them my address like my telephone number and everything you're like why do we have the why do we have Europe European-wide rules how you can save this data and now you're just asking me for all this kind of data and you say oh it's on paper so the GDPR doesn't like what <laughs> what I mean I'm I'm going to do an episode on that generally because I think that's just insane um that's it for this show. I feel I feel I've, I've 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 done everything. I hope I hope you found that enlightening. Um, please tell me because you are a producer on the show. The show is produced under the value for value model, as pioneered by John C. Dvorak and Adam Curry on the No Gen show. Which means if you listen to this and you derive some value from it, I ask nothing more than you think about what that value is, and maybe. Giving me some of that value, or maybe not. You don't have to. It's completely voluntary. Um, it's not voluntary like the Corona app is, where you like you'll be shamed into using it by the public. There's nobody shaming you here. It's completely okay. Uh, and I don't. Sometimes I get emails with you like, "Oh, I would, I would support you. I, w- I would support you with more, or whatever." And they're like, "What things? Things are bad." And like, "Wait, even I'm right. Like things are bad. Like use your money for what you need to use it to, for right." This is. I mean, when I say voluntary, I mean voluntary. Um, but if you do derive some value from it, from it, and you want to give so- something back, there's obviously the, uh, I have a Patreon and you be- can become a patron. Uh, link is in the show notes. And also you can send me v- money via PayPal and their questionable consumer. Well, gotta use something, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not that happy about it, but, um, you gotta. You gotta do what you gotta do if you want to do that it's just the easiest for everybody i've figured out um producers at fab.industries is the email address producers at fab.industries it's also in the show notes it's the email address for uh sending me stuff money monies via paypal and if you have a better payment provider that's actually above board with taxes and everything um feel free to let me know man these allergies are now coming in with the vengeance i could u- i could use take some some mats but then they make me lethargic which isn't the greatest uh situation to be podcasting in if you me to be honest anyway i'm i'm almost done i now want to thank everybody who did pitch in uh, before we're going to do that i want to thank uh, raul Kabzali who wrote and recorded the uh, theme I use for the show called Acoustic Roots. Uh, and I'm also thankful to ByteMark, uh, which is the UK hosting company, at bytemark.co.uk, because they are, provi- they are providing the service I use to distribute the audio files, which is really important, and I couldn't do the show without it. Um, yes, but with that, let's get to the people... Who sent me some money and uh, I'll have a I'll have a sip of Pilsner Oakwell, so I get through that. Or two sips. So those people are uh Niall Donegan, Michael Mullen Jensen, Jonathan M. Heavy, George Walther, Dave Rashid, Alemany, Butterbeans, Kai Sears, Mark Holland, Steve Fos, Shelby Kruger, Vlad, Fadi Mansour, Matt Jelliman, Joe Poser, Jackie Plage, 1i11g, IKN, Philip Klostermann, Dave Umrich, Dirk Didi, David Potter, White Wita- Whiteout, Sadowskis, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Mika, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, Martin, Sylvia Volkan, SJ, and John Chandler. Thanks to all of you for doing that for pitching in for helping w- with the show thanks to everybody else who sent me feedback and emails and everything and thanks to all of you who are listening I hope you enjoyed this uh, somebody said about the uh, last show that it was quite ranty which I know some of you will will like I think he didn't mean it as a compliment <laughs> but you know a lot of people seem to like that well, a lot of people listen to my podcast uh, anyway and with that uh, you know Stay free out there and uh, always, always aim to misbehave and don't let these evil companies catch you. See you next week for another episode of The Private Citizen. Goodbye.